Well, so good to be with all of you this morning. It's a treat for us to be able to come to Elba. And uh, we heard that Michael, uh, they were having a, a bit of a challenge with their vehicle, trying to get ready to go on vacation, and also then Alana not feeling well. And so Jamie said, well, Rod doesn't have to be anywhere on Sunday. We were going to do a club visit, but we'd be glad to cover for you. And while she was texting with him back and forth and uh, found out that I, I think he was at Buffalo General most of the night, and uh, I think the last text was about 6.15 this morning. So he said, yeah, that, that would be great. Please do that for us. So anyhow, we I don't know if, if uh, you've been around little kids when they're sick. They're, they're such sweethearts, but when they're sick, it's kind of so pathetic, you know, just you feel so bad for them. And uh, my, uh, my little Alana, of course, is one of our eight grandchildren. And uh, one of her favorite statements, favorite phrases is, oh, Grampy, you're silly. <laughs> so I try to get that out of my mind now that I'm here to preach this morning. But, oh, Grampy, you're silly. Uh, we have a lot of stories, and uh, she finds Grampy quite amusing. Well, uh, just as, since you are one of our supporting churches, I thought maybe I would give a little bit of a missionary report, kind of fill you in on what's happening with us. And uh, we're having an amazing year. Um, God is is just so incredibly good to us. He really is. Uh, we have such a, 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 I think, a really good ministry, great opportunity we work with about 29 clubs all over Western New York, and they have been so much fun this year. Uh, we had about 50 clubs when COVID struck and all that pandemic nonsense, and I shouldn't say nonsense because it's, you know, it's still going on, but uh, we lost about 20 clubs, a lot of them that met on Sundays, and they never started back up. So that was kind of sad for us, but you know, with 29, 30 clubs, we're pretty busy, and we really have a lot going on. We're right in the middle of uh, our Nerf War season and uh, had our first of 11 uh, yesterday. Had such a good time at First Baptist Church in Marilla. Uh, that was with the Olympians. If you've ever seen uh, 30 kids shooting Nerf guns uh, and Nerf darts at each other, it's really quite an, an exciting adventure yesterday. Uh, a lot of Nerf balls or Nerf uh, darts all over the gym floor. And we, have, we pick them up between each game and start the next one. So just had a really good time. Uh, a couple of the kids that were from outside the community or from the community were there. And one of the teachers was saying to me, boy, they, were, they really had my hands full. They were not kids from our church. And it was just, you know, they were very active boys. When I sat down to give the message, these really active boys sat right in front of me, and the whole time they just literally were glued to what we had to say. It was just it was just so neat to see. God is just doing some really, really great things. Please continue to pray for us in the Nerf Wars. We didn't see any hands raised yesterday, but some kids that definitely seemed to be under conviction, so Pray that they will uh, continue coming to clubs there in Marilla. They, last year when they did this, some of the kids did come to club after their Nerf Force, so we're hoping the same thing will happen this next week as well. Uh, one of our next ones is in Painted Post. We go down, we 
Uh, we'll go on a Thursday, actually, set up the gym. We do the middle school on Friday night, I think that's right, or the teen group, and then the middle school on Saturday. Um, and uh, they, they had a really big group last year, felt like they couldn't do it all in one day. So this year we're doing two back-to-back. We stay over on Sunday and do a display, uh, putting all the Word of Life quiet times out. So, and then we, all together, I think we have 10 more. We have one here in Elba, March 5th. Uh, so pray for that, that uh, some that kids will bring unsaved friends because that's what we really want to share the gospel with kids who have not heard before. So God is doing some really cool things through the Nerf Force. Our Reverb event that we had last November uh, 4th, this year it's November 3rd, I guess one of your Valentine's Day, as Andy told us this morning. And uh, so we'll have reverb again in Rochester. I don't know if you know this or not, but last year on November 4th, the Rochester reverb ended up uh, as the largest reverb in the country. Uh, That has never happened before. Uh, We're always battling trying to get more kids and grow the event. And usually Binghamton beats us out and Florida, Orlando is a really big one. They usually beat us out, and we every year we try to move one up the scale. Uh, and last year we ended up as the largest one, 1,660 kids, leaders, and pastors, adults, uh, and it was a really, really great night. We did, though, overbook uh, half of our facilities in order to get everyone in. So this year I really need to add uh, some more facilities. So we've already been to Rochester. We've been working on it for a month now. And uh, we've been, we've trying to add either Lasertron or something. Uh, and uh, Lasertron, it turns out we would have to have about a $100 ticket. Uh, they're very expensive. So I'm not sure that's going to work, but we may add another sports facility. That's what the kids want. Uh, and that draws kids. So to add another sports facility will take about 30 or 40 more staff. I had 105 volunteers last year that stayed up all night and helped us. I actually am going to need about 30 to 40 more to add a whole other sports complex. Um, but that's what it looks like we may have to do. We're praying about that. There's a couple of places that are possibilities. So if you would pray for us, and, um, and then with that, please pray that we'd be able to add that many staff. I've already been up to Word of Life and told them I need a couple more travel teams, and uh, they're working on that. They sent us quite a few, but I told them if I add a whole other place, I really need more students. So they're working on that, and I may be able to get some Word of Life staff to come. I've already talked with several couples that may come and help us since we had the largest event that Word of Life would help us out more. So pray. Um, we just we have a lot to do by November 3rd. I know it seems like a long ways away, but my sweetheart over here on this side is the one who does a lot of that. So pray for her because she makes a lot of the calls and does a lot of the office work to make reverb happen. Uh, I, I talk a lot about it. She does a lot of the work and does. So pray for her. Um, I don't know how I would do it without her. So those are some things happening. Uh, God is just really doing some wonderful things. A couple other prayer requests, since you are are a supporting church. Um, We need additional staff. Uh, There are places all over the country that we have needs to fill. 
Uh, and I wish you would pray for that too, not only around the country, but we're going to need a couple here uh, in the next few years. Uh, I have less than five years left with Word of Life. I say it that way because I don't want to alarm anybody. We have a few more years uh, to continue in this capacity, um, but it's less than five years. We're going to need a young couple who knows Word of Life, loves churches, loves students uh, that would come in and work alongside with us but, but then would replace us. So that's a big prayer request. Not just anybody can do that. Uh, we're praying that God would put that on someone's heart, that they would step up and do that. Um, and so that's, that's a big thing on my heart. I really don't want to see us lose anything here in Western New York, so we're praying that God would bring uh, somebody along. Uh, it's an unbelievable opportunity uh, to work with churches and to reach kids. So those are some things I just share with you. I, won't, I wouldn't do that everywhere, but as a supporting church, I want you to know how to pray for us. Out in the back is uh, our prayer letter. Uh, if you get it, uh, you probably just received it. If you don't and you want to, uh, please pick one up out there. That's prayer request for the next uh, four months. Uh, a prayer request for every day as you pray for us. And, um, and then I, I think there's also, we brought some calendars. We have some calendars left. If you're a calendar person and you would like one, please help yourself uh, to those out there. Over the years, uh, I have been just totally amazed at the teachings of Christ. And that's what I would speak to you about this morning. If you would open your Bibles to John chapter 3, we'll start there. We won't be there long, but uh, it's just a message, a topical message on the teachings of Christ, how amazing they are. And one of the reasons why I'm speaking on this today is that you would um, just be totally amazed at his teachings committed to his teachings, that you would study them, know them, understand them, and really spend a lifetime trying to live out uh, the purpose of why he taught each of those things. And so there's really seven different ways, there's seven words that I want to use to, as we review those teachings, they all begin with the letter P, and I'm only going to go through half of them today. Uh, originally, I prepared this message for next week, and when I got done, I had so much content, I said to Jamie, I don't think I can get this all in one message. So when Michael texted us and called us, I said, you know what, let's just take this message and divide it into two. So today will be part one, and we won't have to be here till two o'clock this afternoon, <laughs> and I think we can get through it, and uh, half of it, and then we'll finish up next week. But uh, it's a great joy and a great privilege to be here and to share this with you. I'm going to pray just before we uh, look at God's Word. Father, we're, we're so thankful to be here together with friends, with people of the same precious, like faith. Father, what Andy shared this morning was so precious, so powerful, how Jesus did not have to die for, uh, or die for himself. He stayed there on the cross for us. Oh, how true. And Father, there's just something amazing about the things that Jesus shared and he taught. And I pray that as we review these, they, they may be nothing that we haven't heard before, but as we're just reminded about how powerful his words, how powerful his teachings, 
and how they can just change our lives. So I pray, Father, that starting with myself, that our hearts would be open and tender before you, that you would really do your work in our hearts and lives this morning. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. A number of times I've had conversations with people as we talk about who Jesus was and the fact that he is deity, he was the son of God, is the son of God. And I'll talk with people who'll say, well, I believe he was a really, really good teacher. I don't know that he is God, but he was a really good teacher. And I'll think, do you realize what he taught? Do you realize who he said that he was? His words? He said he was God. So how can you say he was a really good teacher when he said he was God if you don't believe he was God? And so we've got into some really incredible conversations. And both the words and the works of Jesus point to the fact that Jesus was not only the greatest teacher of all time, but also the very Son of God. He himself claimed to be from God the Father. Dwight Pentecost, I have a book in my office, a book in my library, that I have really come to cherish and about Jesus. And Dwight Pentecost writes this, he says, All that Christ did and said is grounded in his being as the eternal Son of God and the Savior of the world. So either he was a lunatic, or we can accept his words and his works as proof that he was and is deity. So each writer presents, each writer of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, presents a particular portrait of Christ. If you're using your notes or looking at your notes, that's the first blank to fill in, so I don't want you to miss it. But the, each writer presents a particular portrait of Christ. And uh, for example, Luke writes that you might have the assurance concerning the truth surrounding Jesus and to convince us of those truths. John, in his gospel, helps us to understand that Jesus was alive with God from the very beginning, and existed long before he was born in Bethlehem. As we know, John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What a powerful passage. One of the most amazing books in my library speak of the fact that the, both the words and the works of Jesus Christ present that he was the Son of God. I love this passage in, in John chapter 3 because I often run into people who get so confused about who Jesus really was. They think, oh, he's, yeah, he was a really good teacher. Uh, no, he was the best teacher because he is God. And uh, John chapter 3 is so clear. It's one of my favorite stories where it says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now, that meant he was a teacher. He, he was a rabbi. He was one. His whole job was to point people toward God. The same, this man, Nicodemus, came to Jesus one night, and he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no man could do these miracles except God be with him. So I give Nicodemus credit, a, a, a ruler of the Jews, probably a member of the Sanhedrin, a, a man very high up uh, religiously in, in the church. And uh, he recognized that this Jesus is amazing. So he comes to Jesus. Why he comes by night, I'm not exactly sure. But uh, he apparently wanted to have a conversation with Jesus. So he comes to Jesus. And Jesus immediately begins to tell him, how he, Nicodemus, needed to be saved. 
And that's what it says in verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You understand he's talking to Nicodemus, a man who is like held in very high esteem. And he says, Nicodemus, you will ever, never, never, never enter God's heaven unless you're born again. And just like we talk with people today who are confused, especially in Hollywood, they're all confused about what it really means to be born again. And, uh, and so he asks Jesus, and Jesus says, you will never see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Verse 4, Nicodemus said unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can, can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? I mean, can you imagine Nicodemus asking a question like that? And Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, when you see verily, verily, means like, really pay attention to this. This is really important. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. In other words, being born of water is being born the first time. Unless you're born the second time, you will never enter the kingdom of God. So he tells him a second time. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Spiritual birth is something different. And then Jesus a third time says, marvel not. In other words, don't be surprised that I'm telling you, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And uh, verse 9 says, Nicodemus answered and said unto him, how can these things be? I love verse 10 where it says, Jesus answered unto him. Could you imagine this? He says, aren't you a master of Israel? In other words, a teacher. Aren't you a teacher and you don't know these things? <laughs> I think you talk about, ouch, oh, that hurts. Because Nicodemus should have known those things. His whole job in life, his career was to point people to God. He doesn't even know himself how to know God personally, which of course is through Jesus. And um, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and you receive not our witness. If I've told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And um, what a powerful, powerful passage. Jesus and his amazing teachings. And that brings me to the very first point. If I could submit to you that the very first point is that his teachings were powerful. They were powerful. He was speaking to one of the most powerful religious people, and yet he's setting him straight. He's teaching him. He's correcting his thinking. Even the chief priest of his day stated, never never a man spoke like this in John chapter 7, verse 46. He used parables, simple object lessons. He used aphorisms, which, which are maxims, really clever statements. He delivered discourses like the Sermon on the Mount and the Olivet Discourse. Volumes have been written about those speeches, those discourses. Every word was powerful. There was so much to learn if the hearers had ears to hear. Remember the letters to the seven churches in Revelation, Revelation chapter 2 and 3? where he said to the, each church over and over and over again, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, what does that mean? If you're really wanting to listen, if you really want to hear, it's one thing to hear words and have them go in one ear and out the other, but to really hear them, like when you tell your kids to take out the garbage, you really want them to do what you're saying. 
And that's what Jesus is talking about. If you have ears to hear, in other words, if you really want to know and do these things, if you have a heart that's seeking and searching truth, you will pay attention to these words. He taught with authority, simple yet profound. He, he taught with passion because he had compassion. His insights, they were practical, they were prophetic, applied, they were personal, and they were perfect. He had the ability to read his students and, and get right to the heart of the matter. Identifying the needs of an audience takes amazing insight and foresight. Of course, nobody had better knowledge of man than the Son of God. He knew man's very thoughts. To Nicodemus, he said, aren't you a master of Israel and you don't know these things? That had to pierce. But Nicodemus needed to hear that. Why did Jesus ask the question? It was to answer Nicodemus who asked the following. Here were the questions that Nicodemus asked. How can a man be born when he is old? How can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And then he asked the question, how can these things be? Jesus taught so powerfully uh, the things that that skeptical heart needed to hear. And to a skeptical heart, Jesus had to poke hard. And this was after Jesus went right to the heart of the matter. Nicodemus needed to be redeemed. Three times Jesus told him how you have to be born again. You'll never see the kingdom of God except a man be born of water and of the spirit. The second time he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. Powerfully, Jesus stayed right on subject. Nothing else mattered. He didn't hesitate to remind his audience of things that they should have understood. In fact, here are four words that you'll see in the Gospels often. Have you not heard? <laughs> so many times we, we think we know so much about the Bible, and I think Jesus, if he could just come and ask us a personal question, it might be this one. Have you not heard, or do you not know this? That was a common question. Matthew chapter 12, verse 3 and 5. Chapter 19, verse 4. Chapter 21, verse 16. Chapter, uh, or verse 42. Chapter 22, verse 31. Mark 12, 26. Have you not heard? What he taught was not always comfortable. I think of this verse. Jesus answered, said unto them, You do err. You know who he said that to? The religious leaders. He said, you do err. In other words, you're wrong. You don't understand. He went on in that verse to say, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. Can you imagine being a religious leader? In fact, that's who Jesus had some of his most powerful, harshest words spoken to were the religious leaders, the religious crowd. And uh, can you imagine him saying, you do err, you don't know the scriptures. They gave their lives to know the scriptures, but they really don't know the scriptures. And they don't have the power of God. They don't know the power of God. What, a, what an indictment. Embarrassing, I would say, to say the least. One of the ways a message can be powerful is for it to be repeated, just like when he spoke to Nicodemus. Three times he told him what the true condition of his heart was. He reminded the church of Ephesus to return to their first love. And there is no mistake about that which brings true happiness. You just have to turn to Matthew chapter 5 where you'll read over and over and over again, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, like the poor in spirit, and so on and so forth. 
his messages were powerful. And uh, as I've been reading uh, a lot in the Gospels lately, uh, I got to tell you, his messages, they absolutely were powerful. We just really need to listen to them. They weren't only powerful, but it brings us to the second point. His, his teachings were also perfect. They were absolutely perfect. I have to confess that after teaching for probably nearly 50 years, I think that's when I started in, in uh, boys' brigade and youth groups, started teaching in junior high Sunday school class. Uh, I began in junior high Sunday school class, it seems like 100 years ago, Andy, and uh, we decided to teach through the Gospel of John. Uh, I think back, I was a senior in high school, and when I look back now, I think, oh boy, I've learned a lot more about the Gospel of John than I knew then. And, um, but I have to confess, I, I don't hold a candle next to Jesus when you think about how powerful, but also how perfect his teachings were. One day, a group of religious leaders were actually sent to take Jesus captive. They, they sent these religious leaders, said, go get him, bring him in. You know, we, we got to stop what he's teaching. And they went to take him, to take him captive. And you know what the scriptures say? They came back empty-handed. And they just, they got caught up in his teaching. And when they came back, they're, they're like, you know, like, it'd be like if me sending you, Andy, to go get Jesus, bring him here. And you, and you go and you get listening to him and you come back, you don't have Jesus. And they said, well, like, where is he? And you know what they said? There's never been a man that's taught like this. They were so captivated by him. His teachings were absolutely perfect. Others tried to corner him into making untimely judgments, such as the occasion when an adulterous woman uh, was at the well. And after writing something in the sand and, and they pressed upon him, he, he put them to silence. Actually, it was a woman, uh, it was a woman taken in adultery. They had, they had taken her, they, they caught her in the act, and they brought her before Jesus. And they wanted Jesus to, to pass the, this indictment against her and and uh, what do we do? Do we, you know, do we kill her? Do, what do we do? And Jesus just bent down and he wrote in the sand. And they kept pressing him. And finally he gets up and he, he puts them to silence. You know what he said? I mean, it was absolutely perfect. For you and I, we would probably feel kind of trapped, kind of like cornered, like, oh boy, if I, if I say this, because I know what the law says, if I say this, I'm going to get into trouble. If I say this, I'm going to get into trouble, or she's going to get into trouble. Jesus stands up and he says, let him that hath no what? Sin be what? The first to cast a stone. And do you know what the scriptures say? One by one, they walked out. <laughs> Can you imagine? You know, I, you know, reading that, because I know the end of the story, I know Jesus wasn't trapped. And he couldn't be trapped. He's the son of God. But if I was there, I, I would wonder, what is Jesus going to do? You know, he, this is a no-win situation. Jesus says, let him that hath no sin be the first to cast a stone. Perfect. On another occasion, he, he alluded a trap by the Pharisees in making a politically incorrect statement about paying taxes. Do you remember that one? What did he say? After looking at the inscription on a coin, I could just picture him holding it up saying, Render unto Caesar, what? The things that are Caesar's. And render unto God the things that are God's. Perfect. Again, I, 
I'm not that brilliant. I, if I was in that situation, I'd be like, how do I get out of this one? You know, When people followed him for the wrong motives, he told them this, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple, Luke 14. When the Pharisees accused him of receiving sinners, he asked them, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, would not lead the ninety-nine to go find the lost one? No wonder Jesus said this regarding the religious leaders of the day, for I say unto you that except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Could you imagine being a scribe there that day? He says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of them, you shall in no case enter heaven. When asked by a lawyer, again, I I would have been trapped. When asked by a lawyer, who is my neighbor? Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's one of my favorite stories. I love it. That story ought to melt every cold heart. The story of the Good Samaritan. Remember when they each passed by the person that had been robbed? You know, the priest, the Levi, obviously they should have. Their whole life calling was to help people. They passed by. Who stopped and actually really helped the Samaritan? Finally, When Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Another one of my favorite passages. What Jesus said was just perfect. He says to Philip, Have I been so long time with you, and yet have you not known me, Philip? I can't imagine how you would answer that. His his teaching, they were powerful. They were perfect. Almost like a, like a one-two punch. And uh, right after he asked a penetrating question of Nicodemus, Jesus answered to him, aren't you a master of Israel and yet you don't know these things? What Jesus said after that was, verily, verily, I say unto you, and test, um, we speak that we do know and testify that which we have seen, and yet you receive not our witness. If I've told you earthly things and you believe not, how are you going to believe if I tell you heavenly things? <laughs> Ouch. Powerful. Perfect. Let me give you a third one. This starts with P also. They weren't only powerful. They weren't only perfect. They were passionate. They, They really were. They were words that just struck the soul. They were passionate. I've often thought this. He wasted no words when he taught. Every word showed his compassion for people. In fact, Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, it, it talks about him being moved with compassion to his disciples. He put a passionate question like this. Who do men say that I am? And that was a truth that they all had to deal with. They all had to identify and settle that question once and for all. Who really is Jesus? With passion, he stayed on the subject and he, he pursued the highest mission with Nicodemus. It was marvel not. Don't be surprised. I'm saying to you, you must be born again. When the woman at the well came to draw water, he spoke of what? A, a living water that she so desperately needed. And his method was often seen by his questions. Questions, questions provoke us to think about the deepest matters of life long long after the conversation ends. 
you have a number of teachers here. Teachers are really, really good at asking questions. And when you can't answer the question, what do teachers usually do? They ask another question. They continue to ask questions. Now, we could just simply tell you what we want you to know, but, but good teachers ask good questions, and they seem to know exactly what questions to ask. Well, Jesus, uh, his teachings, they were powerful, they were perfect, they were passionate. And one of the best ways to show passion sometimes is to ask questions. I think of some of the questions that Jesus asked. I just love them. I made a list of them. I like them. Questions like this one. Do you love me more than these? Who did he ask that to? Remember Peter? After Peter had, had denied Christ, he, he denied that he knew him. You remember the story when a servant girl, it was after Jesus was taken to be crucified, and Peter before that had just shortly before that said, I will never deny you. And Jesus said, oh, yeah, you, you will deny me three times. And Peter must have thought, not me. Peter was the kind of the mouth of the crowd. He was the bravest one. He was the one that always came into a room mouth first. Peter, you know, was just, had so much courage. But he needed courage based on his strength, Jesus' strength, not his own. And Peter, in front of a, a little servant girl, who recognized that he was one of the ones that had been following Jesus. Remember when Peter you know, denied Christ, and that, that occasion, the first occasion, I think, of the three times is when a servant girl said, well, yeah, like, I, aren't you one of them that was with Jesus? Because they had already taken Jesus. And Peter denied. He said, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, he continued to deny because two other occasions one of the most powerful questions afterwards when, when God was putting Peter through that healing uh, time was the question that Jesus asked, do you love me more than these? Well, there are others. Do you remember he also asked the question? I think this was to Peter and the disciples too. Who do men say that I am? The question he followed that question with is, what do you say about me that I am? Or how about this one? If, if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Yeah, anybody can do that. Or this question, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? That was a good question. Questions that were so passionate. A good teacher knows how to get his audience to carry on a dialogue, and, and that in itself is a teaching tool. I think passion at its best. And the fact that it may result in a silent discussion still accomplishes the goal. In fact, some questions are really better unanswered. Do you know the Gospels record? I, I didn't mean to put that in a question, but I guess I just did. Do you know the Gospels record over 200 questions that Jesus asked in his teaching? Passion, it's seen all through his life and ministry. And perhaps there's no greater pain in life than that of watching a son or a daughter destruct, self-destruct. Until you go through it yourself, you just don't know how painful that is. Imagine Jesus telling the story of a prodigal son. As Jesus related the passion of a father who, who longs for his son to come home, watching day after day, could today, could today be the day that my son comes home? 
Perhaps the most intimate and passionate teachable moments was when the disciples had been fishing all night, unsuccessful. And Jesus, remember what he told them to do? Cast your net on the other side. I could just imagine the disciples thought, what are you talking about? We, we've been fishing all night. We're tired. We're frustrated. And Jesus says, just cast your net on the other side. Now, the disciples were smart enough to know that Jesus seemed to know what to do, and nothing he ever said was wrong. So they cast their net on the other side, and it's so successful they can hardly get to shore with all the fish. And there on the shore, Jesus had a fire for them, and they begin to partake of a meal that he had prepared. Peter, no doubt, in that situation was reminded that the last fire he probably warmed himself was when he had denied Christ. And um, what a healing time that must have been for Peter. Jesus didn't leave it there. Three times he asked Peter, do you love me? A second time, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? And, um, And Peter was given the opportunity to reaffirm his faith three times. And uh, passion, passion in his teaching. Uh, his teachings, they were, they were so powerful. They were so perfect. They were so passionate. I think I'll close with one more. And uh, then we'll finish the rest next week. But his words are not only powerful and perfect and passionate, they were practical. The fourth thing is practical. He knew what was in man, so like a laser-guided missile, he just kept dealing with the the needs that men had. And um, his teaching methods were so memorable. Um, By the way, that's that's the purpose of an aphorism. An aphorism is a short, practical sentence expressing a truth in such a way that we can easily remember the story or the truth behind it. The Gospels actually record over a hundred of them. Memorable statements or phrases that help the audience to remember the whole point of the lesson long, long after the teacher's taught. Let me just give you a couple of them. How about this one? And and as soon as I say them, you're going to know exactly the story behind it or the truth behind it. Here's an aphorism. No man can serve two masters. Isn't that a good one? Those of us that know the Bible, we we know what that's about. You can't serve money and serve Jesus in the same degree, passion. No man can serve two masters. How about this one? Does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet, what? Lose his own soul. So you know it. You know the story. How about this one? This is a short, simple one. How about turning the other cheek? We don't always like to do that, do we? I, every once in a while I'm around somebody who really bashes the bills, and I don't like that. <laughs> I really like the bills, you know. I wish they were playing today, I really do. But there's next year, and we're coming back with a vengeance, you know. So, okay, turning the other cheek, I, I can't let it get to the best of me. But uh, here's another one. The Word became flesh. We know that's from John chapter 1. Uh, Verse 12 is, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The word became flesh. Jesus, as God, became man. These phrases remind us of, of, uh, they remind us quickly of lengthy dialogues or lessons. As, As educators, I think we'd be more powerful if we were this practical. Perhaps the most practical were his teachings about prayer. 
Remember the disciples one day? I mean, after hearing Jesus pray, and, and Jesus' prayers were so powerful. They were so perfect, so practical. Um, they were so passionate. And um, one day his disciples just said, listen, would you teach us to pray? I think they probably just wanted to pray like Jesus prayed. His teachings were practical. I think that's probably a good place to leave it. Um, I, I have three more, but it will take longer than I can cover. So next, next week, we're going to review those four. So make sure you bring your notes back. And uh, I'm going to test you, Erwin. I'm going to see if you know what the four are. So study up and uh, remember that his teachings, they were powerful. Uh, they were perfect. Uh, they were passionate. They were practical. And then we'll take a look at three more. Again, why do we take the time to teach on this? What Jesus, what Jesus had to say had to do with matters of life and death. They were important. Uh, this isn't part of my message, but he taught more on hell than I think he did heaven. Jesus cares about us knowing the truth. In fact, John fourteen six says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Jesus never wasted words. What he said was so powerful. It was so, so necessary. The song we sang just before I came up was so perfect, uh, talking about the power of Jesus. Uh, I hope that as an application that you will give your life to studying the words of Jesus. They really matter. Sometimes I'd like just taking a red-letter edition of the Bible and just reading through the Gospels, but, but paying really close attention to the words of Jesus there in red. Uh, I got to tell you, it'll, it'll never be a waste of your time. So important to know what Jesus said, what he taught, and understand it. That's why we take the time to teach children, to teach teens, uh, the things that Jesus said. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much, so thankful for Jesus. Father, it is, it is a name that is powerful. His teachings were powerful. They were perfect. He always knew what to say. They were so practical, the stuff that we need. And uh, thank you so much for the men who wrote the scriptures inspired by the Holy Spirit so that we could know these words and study these words and live these words. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.